This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Shanar Kennedy, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me. It's it's great to be able to have this great discussion today in such interesting times that we're living in. They are certainly interesting times. And I think having a book called Plan B <laughs> is very timely because um, how much of us have had to change in the last year or so? Monumental change. Yeah, um, it, it actually came to me, this book, in the first week of lockdown in Melbourne last year. And I woke up at three o'clock in the morning in a really big sweat, you know, and I had the Jerry Maguire moment where I have to get up and I, I have to do something. And I, because I've been coaching for 20 years, I knew exactly the mindset that people would go through. And I was thinking that there just hasn't been a book for 20 years I could just give to my clients that would show them the journey through change. And so I got up at three in the morning in my sweat and typed away, you know, a whole introduction and chapter headings and I sent it off to to Penguin and my husband's like, oh, my gosh, you didn't think about it, you didn't spell check, you did nothing. And I said, I just had to get it out. <laughs> and um, and they just they said, absolutely, yes. Yeah. All right, let me introduce you. Shanat is a successful life coach and motivational speaker. She helps clients navigate careers, well-being and life's ups and downs, enabling them to achieve their visions and goals. She's the best-selling author of The Life Plan and Simplify, Structure, Succeed. Her latest book is Plan B, which we're talking about today. And it's about guiding people through life when things don't go to a plan and finding the keys to grow and heal alongside change. Do you know, I've always been one of these people that has really always thought, oh, come on, get your shit together. Just like pull it together and move on. However, wisdom and aging has been a very good thing. And now I see that there are so many people in life where they just butt up to life, not through fault of their own, so where I think things are easy and I can navigate change and I can navigate, you know, emotional highs and lows and whatever, and I'm lucky because that comes easily to me. I mean, it's not, not like I don't have any. I have uh, many, but I can always find my way. But that doesn't happen for everyone, does it? Absolutely not. I'm very good at adapting and it, it is what it is and what can we do to move forward. But a lot of people don't have that skill. And a lot of people don't understand the process of change either, that we we have to grieve. You know, sometimes, you know, people were grieving, oh, I can't sit in a coffee shop or, or the boss changed the pens from black pens to blue pens and I don't like that. Or, you know, the system changes. And with change comes grief and it could be really fleeting with people like us and we can flow with it and move on. But for a lot of people, they get stuck in it and they don't know why. So it was about how do we 
put it all together so you don't read a whole book on grief or a whole book on healing or a whole book on resetting? How can we shorten the whole thing because our attention span is very short um, and, and educate people? But a lot of people, if you haven't got been brought up in a family that sort of just moves on or or talks about things and and does a plan of action to move forward if you haven't really had those skills um, I think it's very difficult to navigate I agree with you Shannon and I think sometimes and and I've I've noticed this and and read and learned about this as I've grown up and spoken to people like you I had a terrible terrible breakup years ago my marriage broke up it wasn't what I wanted and at the time I saw I was going to you know, be married, stay married, have children, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, that didn't happen. He left and it was a shock to me and it was a terrible, terrible shock and it took me a long time to get over it. But I do remember the moment where I decided that I can live my life like that or I can get up and live my life like this. And that was a real light bulb moment for me. It was like a switch in my brain. And sometimes I think the way people are wired, they don't have that switch. They're not fortunate enough to say, okay, well, something did happen. It was terrible. And now I've got to make some changes and move on and live life differently. Because it's a genetic thing. So we've, we, we've done a lot of research on the science of happiness and 50% of our happiness is actually your genetics. You're a glass half full or a glass half empty person. And you might get the big curveball like your marriage and you're a glass half full person. So, yes, you can grieve and you need to heal and but you've got a reset button. Whereas some people, if you don't have that genetic makeup where you're the glass half empty person, you know, everything can be going great in the world and you're still miserable. Um, you know, it's that's a genetic thing. Mm. 10% of our happiness on top of that is what we have, our cars and our house and our new shirt or your online shopping. That's a fleeting happiness. But 40% of your happiness is mindset, rhythm, rituals, routines, habits that actually make us happy. Mm. So you're going to boxing this morning as part of your habit plan that actually makes you happy. But if you don't really work on that 40% and really own it, you can get lost in that genetic makeup of glass half empty. Mm. I've spoken about this before in our podcast and I'll share it with you. And it, again, was a real light bulb moment for me. So many years later, I'm really successful. I've got a great job. I've, you know, senior person in publishing. I'm doing this, but I'm not happy with the job. It, it was too political for me, you know, too much whatever in organisations. It was hard. And I'd come from a retail background. And so I decided to I bought a house and then I left my job. I mean, crazy, right? <laughs> so I was feeling a little bit stressed, as you can imagine. But I, I was listening to the radio and I never quite got his name. There was an Aboriginal elder on the radio. I was listening to 702 ABC. And he was talking about happiness and the difference between happiness between Indigenous people and you know, white people in Australia. And he said, it was just a couple of sentences. He said, the problem with you guys, us, is that your happiness is in the future. I can't wait till Friday until, you know, I'm not working and it's the weekend. I can't wait till this evening till I have dinner and a drink or whatever. But he said, no, 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 no. It's right there in that moment right now. Oh my God. It just changed the way I look at things completely completely. So my happiness right now is talking to you. 
Yes, that's what I teach my clients is let's just work in the hour. You know, you've done all the planning. You know what's happening today. You've got six meetings and, you know, pick up people or go out for dinner. You know what's happening. So your your skill now is to bring it into the hour and be present and go, this, this is the story of my life right now. These minutes that I'm living make up the story of my life. So let's be here. Let's be now. Let's let's love what we're doing. And it's this mantra in, in your head that says, I love my full life. I love myself and I love my full life is what I say rather than saying, I'm so busy, I'm stressed, I've got too many things on the agenda, or my to-do list is out of control. I just say I love my full life. It's full. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's it's wonderful and there's lots of challenges in it, but it's what we're telling ourselves, that computer in the brain up here sending the messages to the body and what we do with our affirmations in the morning or setting up our intention or having a habit of actually being in the task that we're in, which is us chatting right now, is that's a skill that we want to be learning for mental health and wellbeing and for our feeling of fulfilment and life. So I coach a lot of achievement junkies. Um, I am an achievement junkie myself. And it's about allowing myself to feel things, getting out of the head, taking that 12-inch highway down to the heart from the head and saying, allow yourself to feel this, not just do it and tick it off. As a coach, you know, coaching elite athletes or CEOs or business owners or entrepreneurs is they all are achievement-based people. You know, we all live in the head. We've got the list. We'll go and do it. We'll set the goal. We'll go and smash it. And they say, I've got no fulfillment in life. I've got everything I want, that 10%, but that 40% about gratitude, about empathy, about kindness, about compassion is all missing. And yes, we've achieved everything, but we we just don't feel it. And so when they get the curveball, they actually don't cope very well because they haven't got the depth to them that they need. Mm-hmm. And that's why when plan B comes and we do get a curveball or plan C or plan D, and we had our life plan, which is, you know, we wanted the picket fence and the, the marriage and the kids and whatever. That was what we thought we wanted and we've got the curveball and life's going to take us in another direction, you have to be able to do a plan B and allow that to be just as good. It's different. It's just not the same. But let's keep working towards allowing ourselves to be just as happy. Mm. I, I often talk about this. I mean, people think it's crazy that I have toast for breakfast. But, you know, I say to people, it gives me great happiness for others. It is meditating in the morning or whatever. But I start the day every day with a cup of coffee and some toast. And that is really the happiest I feel sometimes in a day. It is with absolute gratitude that I sit there thinking I'm the luckiest person on earth. And it's very, very simple because people think often that things that make you happy are big, but they're not. They're just right there in front of us, aren't they? It's that 40% I was talking about. The habits and the little rituals are what makes, that's your rose of the day. You know, that's your your little highlight. For me, it's walking on the beach and having the first coffee every morning is definitely one of the highlights of the day. I might sell a thousand books, but that's fleeting happiness. The actual thing was I walked on the beach, I saw the water, I had a coffee, I smelt the ocean. That to me is more exciting. 
So it is those small things. And, and as a family, we do the rose and thorn every day um, and share, you know, what was the rose of the day and what was the thorn. And it was it's a really nice way just to remember the small things that we do. And that's why I teach a lot of people to, to live in gratitude. So when I think about COVID, and that's the biggest plan B, I, I think all of us have experienced in our lifetime. If I go back, and it's a year and a bit today, I think about I mean, I felt panicked, just like everybody else. I thought, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Am I, I mean, I'm lucky enough not to worry about losing my apartment. But, you know, there were a lot of people I knew that lost their jobs. I, I had a lot of friends, you know, a few friends that worked at Qantas and in the service industry. And, and then there are those of us where it turned around. Like, for me, it became the biggest bonus ever. It was like this business was made for COVID, you know, social media, and we pivoted and we turned and we we did all these sorts of things. And I really felt lucky and grateful. But there are those that have lost a lot and genuinely lost a lot, you know, lost incomes, lost accommodation. Talk to me about those people. Do they come to you? Do they have the means for you? Are you able to reach out to people like that? Uh, yes, I, I do um, some pro bono work as well for people that mm. are not in a position where I know I can really help them. So that's the giving back part for me, which I enjoy tremendously and is incredibly rewarding, is to equip people with the tools of how to control the controllables mm. and to keep your eyes on your own plate. And those two, those two sayings and the word flow was really big last year. So it was flow, it was breathe, it was control the controllables and keep your eyes on your own plate and really bring everything back in to the business of you. Mm. I would work out their values with them. We would do some grieving together. We would plan some healing activities that they could do and tick off. And then we would start this planning around their own set of values. Because in actual fact, for a lot of people, it's the gift even though it was very difficult. And the gift was actually coming back to self and saying, okay, I've got to ground myself here. I'm going to go back to my values and I'm going to build a new plan for myself. And even when they'd lost a lot of things, just talking to them every week or every two weeks and resetting their plan and giving them the boss, which was their values that they had to go and work for, um, which a lot of them was health, mental, physical, emotional and spiritual health, they had never seen that as the boss, is filling up those four pillars. Mm. And when we actually rearranged some activities to fill up those four tanks, they felt they had purpose in their day. And when you give someone a purpose in their day to go and do things, to fill up a tank that's going to fill up their soul so we can create a new plan, they started to see that, okay, maybe now I can get in charge again. And we would acknowledge the grief at the same time. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I mentioned I knew people that worked at Qantas and I knew two people. I mean, what a monumental change in career. And one of my friends, it was her dream job. I've known her forever since we were 12, 13. It was her dream job to work at Qantas. And she finally got a job working uh, later in life, but working at Qantas ground staff, right? And then when this happened, it was absolutely life One, she lost her job and her income, but two, she lost a job that she loved. She lost a community that she loved, you know, it's a workplace. But she's that kind of person. She turned around very quickly and she got herself another job and she's now cooking in a childcare centre. But knowing that she can, she took one of those deals where you just, I don't know, get I don't stood down, I think it is. And she's still feeling really hopeful that she'll get that job back. But I know another person that's worked for Qantas and hasn't worked, hasn't left the home, hasn't, it's a different attitude entirely. Yeah, that's that genetic makeup. And so the people that have that genetic makeup, it is really important to work with somebody. So I myself even got a coach last year. Oh, you did? Yes, yes, I did. And um I thought, you know, my whole world is about to change. You know, my I'm going to have to homeschool my kids. I've got my husband moving back home. Um, we didn't lose our jobs, but my job took off even more. So all of my speaking engagements were cancelled within a week, which is 80% of my income gone because um, I speak around the country at conferences. And I just sat there in it and I just allowed myself to grieve. And then I healed and then I got excited And I worked with a coach every two weeks in my ear saying, okay, what are you doing next? And then think that through. And then what? And why are you doing it? What is the purpose? Where do you want to take it? And it was just great because when you're a solo practitioner or you're home by yourself like your friend from Qantas, is when you have that external party coming in who's not emotionally connected to you, it's like you've got someone holding your hand. It's like you've got someone to share the journey with. And that's not my husband's job. You know, he's got his own journey with his own staff. You know, I didn't want to lump on top of him either. So I really believe every five years everyone should get a coach just to come in with a fresh set of eyes, give you a fresh set of skills and challenge you on your comfort zone and your thoughts. And so I had to really move out of my comfort zone and go onto the screen, which I'd never done, and do webinars and learn technology. And for that, that for me was just making me incredibly nervous. But I could walk onto a stage and talk to a thousand people, no problem. So it was just changing different sort of skill sets along the way. And also I needed support because I'd started to support so many others and so many teams. And sometimes there's 200 people on my screen. So I actually needed a support person for myself. It's funny, you know, and you might remember this, the word back then, you know, at the beginning of COVID was pivot, like if you had a business, pivot, you know, you've got to pivot, Cheryl. And I'm just like, I don't even know what that is. Like, you know, I don't even know what to pivot to at the moment because we just didn't know how it was going to roll out, did we? No. Well, pivot was actually what we were going to call Plan B. 
Oh, is that right? Yeah. So it, it it was called Pivot when I when I first mentioned it to to Sophie at Penguin, and we went, what a great word! You know, people actually have to move like on a basketball court and pivot and go in a different direction. And we were so excited, and then everyone started to use that word, and then by the end we were like, oh, we cannot call it Pivot. <laughs> well, I do think because. I think plan B is a better title because you get to think about it and you get to strategize about what plan B is. Whereas pivot has a sense of urgency, you know, and people were throwing it at me all the time, but I'm thinking, I don't know. I I mean, I'm very fast moving and I'm very decisive and I'm really, I can see where my business is going. I can always visually see it. However, when you're in that great unknown, Pivot to what? I couldn't see what was ahead. No, nobody could and nobody knew how long it would be, right? We thought we were going into two-week lockdown, which turned into 160 days or something. So um, I think it's a journey Mm -hmm. and Plan B is actually, the book is a journey and it takes you through the four stages and we just want to know what the journey is in a very brief and nice, simple way with some action plans and this is what I coach people through the whole year. So it was it's beautiful now to have it in a book so that when you have a friend who's lost a loved one or had a breakup or lost their job or they actually might have made the change themselves to take a bigger role, that's also a change. Also, all of those things could happen at the one time. I lost a friend at the beginning of COVID and it tipped me over the edge. You know, she was just a little bit older than me and... I couldn't believe it. It really knocked me for six. I was so upset by it. And I do Pilates with this beautiful woman um, who's a psychologist. And I said to her, oh, God, Kathy, I think I need to see someone. I was really struggling. But do you know what I think it was? It was layers of fear. Like it was COVID fear, grief fear, you know, layers of fear that I had at the time. Because if those things happen to us one by one, okay, I can grieve now, then COVID's going to, that might be easier to cope. But sometimes when it's layered, it's very hard. Yeah, and there's a lot of layers. And right now in Melbourne, um, you know, people are experiencing as we're in lockdown again and it keeps getting extended, is that all the grief that we felt last year and the emotions, it's a trigger effect. So they all come on top of you again. So you, not only are you dealing with the grief of right now, you're actually having to deal with all of last year's grief. You know, if you break up with a boyfriend, then you remember all of your breakups, you know, they all come flooding back. It's Absolutely. the same. So people often are saying, oh, I know what to do because we, we mastered that last year, but I can't, I can't, I actually can't, I'm paralysed because all of those feelings have come straight back in. I see that with um, with grief in terms of death. Like if my friend dies and I run into somebody who's had a death in the family, they cry equally as much as I do because that's their own grief coming out as well. It's not they didn't even know my friend, you know, but you kind of kind of see that as part of the process. Yeah. Um, don't people don't realise that some of their feelings are grief? Mm. You know, those feelings that waft in and out during those days. When you tell people, or when I tell teams. You could be experiencing some grief. They go, oh, thank goodness I've got a word for it because I just thought I was losing the plot. No, you're actually grieving. 
change, that the world is not the same. People are grieving, you know, we're not going to be able to travel or get on a plane for a year or two years. And that's underlying, that's just buzzing along the whole time in your belly. Whether you like it or not, it's in your subconscious. And so sometimes you might react to something in a way you thought, oh, that's not really me. And you can't work out why. And when I explain to them, it's part of grief then they actually don't feel like, oh, there's something wrong with me. It's actually a a human emotion I'm allowed to feel. Mm. Tell me, um, Shannon, how you came to being a life coach. Like, tell me, because we always, you know, we're called stories behind the story. So it's often nice how you came to be where you are talking to us. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um, I didn't start out ever wanting to be a life coach at all. I didn't even know what a life coach was. This is 20 years ago. So I was working in corporate sport and I had 200 athletes that I looked after and I was the Jerry Maguire. I was buying and selling athletes and organising their contracts and I was watching all of these athletes and thinking, gosh, what happens to them when they've finished their career? Because they might be 25 and finished and their whole life has been dedicated to this sport and I would watch them go from hero to zero overnight and have no strategy. That's a big fall, isn't it? It's huge. And you're a has-been. And I want to take everyone back 20 years. There was nothing for them. There was no media roles for them. Once you were finished at the footy club, you were out. There was nothing. They'd basically go and mow lawns or, or whatever. So I looked after these athletes and they would come back to me even after they'd finished crying, like, I don't know what to do. And I would start helping them a little bit. And I realised that there was no exit strategy. There was no transition strategy. And um, I ended up getting very sick myself. I got chronic fatigue because I'd been working seven days a week for about seven years. I had adrenal burnout. Um, I was married to my job. I had no self-care strategies at all. It was go hard, go harder and go hard again. And I loved it. I'm in my 20s living on sport, you know, it was it was an incredible lifestyle and everything was free. You know, you, my whole life was free because I just lived at my job, which was all paid for. Everybody loved me because I had free sunglasses to give away. So, you know, it was, it was the dream, except it took my health. And it was actually when I was sick in bed for about a year where I couldn't move and I was thinking about these athletes And then I was thinking about myself getting into a very dark depression because I couldn't move my body and I was an overachieving junkie. I loved achieving and I was so addicted to it. And when your body doesn't move and your brain's going, come on, move, and it doesn't move and it hurts, you know, I started to get very depressed myself and I actually got myself, someone said, there's a life coach in Queensland, have a chat to her, you don't need a counsellor. Like, I don't even know what a life, nobody knew what a life coach was. And um, she was amazing. She held my hand. We set a goal every day to walk to the letterbox. Mm. We set a goal to work for my health, not work for my job, work for my health. And I'd never had that concept before. I was like, what do you mean work for my health? She said, well, your health is now the boss. The job is what you do. It's not who you are. And I always thought that about my athletes. You are not your job. You're a whole person. Yes, you can kick a ball very well and I can type faster than you. So, you know, it's just a job. It's just a ride that we get on. So I decided to study life coaching for three years and um, everyone said I was a complete fool because no one had heard of it and why would you give up your amazing job? 
but I wanted to coach athletes into retirement. So I got qualified. I went to all the football clubs. They all kicked me out the door. They all said, absolutely no way you're touching any of our athletes. I'm like, but they need a plan. No, they don't. They'll be fine. And um, I ended up coaching a lot of my retired athletes into creating their plan B, the second part of their life. Or, And then I thought, no, we need to be... We need to be coaching them much earlier, like at the start, so that you have a life plan as well as a career plan. And then one day I was sitting at a, at a function and a, and a banker was next to me and said, I want to know everything that you know. I Please teach my staff everything about high performance. And so I was a high performance specialist. I went in and started teaching life skills and mental health and wellbeing coping strategies into corporate companies which was never heard of. So I was the weird agenda on the, on the corporate um, conference. So I was very confronting and mm. I broke the ceiling. And I think I was one of the first life coaches in Melbourne. And, um, and it's been an incredible 20 years. And I wrote the life plan, which is the bestseller, to put health and wellbeing and wellness skills as a skill set that's just as important as your sales skills, as your time management skills. This skill set is non-negotiable for a healthy, balanced life, and we don't learn them at school. And you would hear this yourself. So many people, like you know, um, you know, I'd come home and run into someone. I've been to Pilates. Oh, lucky you! Yeah. Well, it's not that lucky. I mean, I enjoy it, but I don't love it. I just make time for it. You know, just back from boxing. Oh, lucky you! And people think that self-care is lucky. Like, you know, my sisters do that to me. If I have a nap on a Saturday afternoon, oh, everyone just rolls their eyes, you know. Oh, no, I'd say you're high performance. (laughs) But there is that attitude out there, isn't it? You know, like looking after yourself is kind of almost a sin, you know. Yeah, I know. And it's really important because if you're a high-performing athlete, which I worked with for so many years so closely, is they value rest. They value restoration. If the athlete doesn't do the proper restoration, they cannot perform a personal best. Their body won't do it. Their mind won't do it. So if they don't step away and have a life running outside of their sport in some capacity, they are too addicted to the sport and they don't have the balance right and so they never quite get there. So I was coaching marathon runners in the Olympics who were saying, I hate running. And it was because they weren't doing, when once they started to have a little mini business making jewellery or doing their, you know, their recovery properly, they start winning. The brain just cannot do that one thing the whole time. So we do need a life plan running alongside the career plan. And I became very, very passionate about self-care, that it's not selfish. It's part of a high-performing individual. It's part of a very happy, balanced person. And we need to value it as self-care as an investment into the longevity of our career. So I think the achievement of my day now is going for the walk, doing the meditation, doing the breathing, having the nap. That's a bigger achievement than selling a 1,000 books, getting six new clients and speaking on stage. Because if I don't do that, I will burn out. You won't be able to do that, you know. I won't be able to be a fun and inspiring wife. I won't be able to be a warm and nurturing mum. I won't be able to be present for you right now. I'd be too tired. Mm. So... 
It's an investment into being the best version of yourself, which is what we want to do in the world. So I really have been over the last 20 years trying to get that message across. Like wellbeing 10 years ago was very woo-woo. It was very Byron Bay hippie tuning out sort of stuff, whereas now it is actually starting to become um, respected as a a human need. Mm. I do get a little bit um, nervous when I see all the shakes and all the fatty kind of diets and food and that worries me a little bit. But, you know, whatever gets you there. But, I mean, self-care is more about, you know, I think just taking time out. Self-care is not about weight. No. Self-care is about... Love that. It's not about weight. It's got nothing to do with weight, self-care. This is about nurturing and nourishing the asset, which is yourself. And if we all could treat ourselves like the asset, like the business, like the most important business that we work for, then nurture and nourish and repair and refuel, it's like plugging the phone into the charger when it's on red and wanting to stay in the green zone. So if you think that it's selfish to plug yourself in to get into the green zone so you can perform well without stress, you know, with that, with that being able to take a breath, with being able to control your nervous system, we wouldn't have all the autoimmune issues. We wouldn't need to see the counsellors. We would actually just love the body that we were given. We would love the skin we're in. We would allow ourselves just to love our life. We live in one of the best countries in the world with fresh air and clean food and running water. You know, we, we live in the best place. So why aren't we happy? Shanar, you're such an inspiration. I have enjoyed our chat so much. Congratulations on your book. It's called Plan B, A Guide to Navigating and Embracing Change. Hope it sells its socks off. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, Join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.